Hey there, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Now, it's easy to get stuck in our comfort zone, to play it safe, but that's not where life is fun or exciting. The problem is, though, is that it's hard to get out of our comfort zones to push into that discomfort that can create those exciting times. I've been there, and in fact, I'm still quite often there. This is the podcast where I chat with people about getting out of their comfort zones, the struggle, but also all of the awesome things that come out of it. We talk about the strategies that they've used that we can implement, but most of all, we talk about how it's okay to be uncomfortable. This week, we've got Ben Logan of New Age Primal back on the show. Ben was a guest a couple of months ago, back in episode 59. I had a wicked time chatting with him and we had some great feedback. So it was cool to be able to get him back for another chat. So back in episode 59, we talked about his background, what he's doing with New Age Primal at the moment and where he wants to take it in the future. Make sure to go back and check that episode out to get an insight into Ben, who he is and what he's all about. Today's chat with him is focused on everyday survival, why it's important, and how we can train it. Ben was also gracious enough to introduce me to his good mate, uh, Dr. Greg Emerson, who appeared back on the show in episode 62 for another fantastic chat. So when you have time, go back and check that one out as well if you haven't already. And Ben's a bit of a competitive dude, so he seemed a little bit dark that uh, when I told him that Greg's episode had more downloads than his. So if you like what you hear to help him out with his competitive nature, make sure that you share this episode out with your mates and your groups um, so he can have a bit of a skite to, to his good mate Greg. Some of the topics we cover today are the difference between everyday survival and extreme survival the psychology behind survival, the importance of regular training to keep our knife sharp, why prevention is better than cure, the ability to process what's wrong, but also understanding what's right in our environments, how to train situational awareness, improving our conscious processing of information, utilizing the stop process, Progressively exposing yourself to more uncomfortable situations. The balance between preparedness and paranoia. What he has in his survival kits. Advice on getting those things you don't enjoy doing done. Before we jump into the show, today's episode is brought to you by the Wellington Low Carbon Challenge. Challenge is a program designed to support growing businesses and folks with ideas to help reduce Wellington's emissions in four key areas of transport, energy, building, and waste. They're taking applications for the Challenge program now, and if successful, you'll increase your mentors and connections, build your skill sets, and gain access to match funding to really get your business or idea going. So if you're in or around Wellington, and you've got an idea or know someone who has ideas, then head over to lowcarbonchallenge.nz for more details and to apply. 
Now, as always, thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, Last month, we had our best ever month in terms of downloads uh, and almost three times as much as the the previous month, month, which is very, very cool. Uh, and that's all all down to you guys uh, enjoying the show and sharing it out with your friends. So thank you so much and thank you for getting uncomfortable with Ben and I today. Welcome back to the uh, Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. It's cool to have a chat with you this evening. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. Um, the The feedback from the last episode was was great. I've had a couple Not of bad. messages from it. Oh, good. Well, that makes me feel nice. Yeah, and thanks for uh, thanks for putting me in touch with Greg as well. It was a uh, wicked chat with him too. Yeah, I, I listened to it a couple of times. Um, I always enjoy his podcast. Like I said before, he's got a wealth of knowledge, and he's um. Yeah, oh, uh, very good guy. Yeah, and he tells a great story as well, which is uh, which he is tells very many, cool. Yeah, you can't shut him up sometimes, can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not always a bad thing in a podcast, though. Eh? <coughs> no, um, no, he's no short of content from him. <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't slag him off too much, eh? Otherwise, I might no. have a hard job getting him back on at some other point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's a great man. Yeah. Um, ben, last time we last time we talked, uh, we chatted kind of uh, uh, through a whole sort of a whole lot of different topics um, and a bit about your background as well. But I think today, kind of, I wanted to to jump into the topic of everyday survival uh, a little bit more. And I know that's something that you've had on your mind quite a lot recently, um, and you're going to be doing a little bit of work around that. But when I occasionally think of survival and when people think of survival, they tend to think of it kind of in uh, extreme situations like we were talking about before. So out against the elements or in the, in the military or in kind of high pressure situations, what's the difference between that type of survival and everyday survival that you, that you're talking about at the moment? One's a, One's an environment where there's going to be inherent risk. Um, the military working out of Afghanistan, there's just really strong dangers the whole time. If you're climbing Everest, you're just you're putting all the odds against you basically to have problems occur. Um, but and that's the, like you said, the extreme end of the scale. But also, just in everyday life, there are situations that you turn on the news every day. And you hear of situations every day for everyday people um, where they've been in survival situations. So we cover, we, we, mean, we do performance and survival courses with New Age Primal and we teach some very basic stuff. We teach some very advanced stuff as well. But there's that gray area in the middle, which I think is perfect for everyday, everyday people, basically, who are going to encounter everyday survival situations. Mm. Could you give um, give me some examples of kind of what everyday survival situations are? Oh, of course. Well, I mean, to, to backtrack a little bit, the psychology and understanding survival is quite a funny concept. 
because if you have a if you have well let's take you yourself for example if you have a client come into the clinic you know the date the time their name and your receptionist is probably asked roughly what injury they've got so you've got a rough for your meeting you've got a rough idea of what what's going to be happening mm-hmm. you recently had a 60k ultra marathon you had the date the time the distance the the route and you also have your physical and mental capabilities that you know what they are so you've got some rough parameters to work within survival situations are quite different in the fact that most people in everyday everyday people in everyday situations have very little warning so they're on the fly basically um and this all makes them hard to plan for and adapt for but like i said i think the need for survival is everywhere it can be in a car crash it can be in an urban environment you and I both live in earthquake-prone areas. Um, it, the the South Island, especially Christchurch, Canterbury, and Otago, just got bombed by the weather recently. Um, that could have easily been a survival situation had someone been in the wrong place at the wrong time. People got flooded. Um, absolutely everywhere. A- again, there's a lot of urban hostile threats as well. There's bad people out there. The the terrorism is spreading. It's it's not only in Afghanistan, Iraq, Middle East now. It is spreading to other parts of the world and places we travel, places we frequent. And there's just threats everywhere, basically. So, again, the, the goal is to perform and survive in a modern world. And that isn't going to happen by chance. People need to adopt strategies, knowledge and skills to ensure they can thrive in those when the, when the shit hits, does hit the fan. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to have a little bit more of a talk. I think about the um, the psychology bef- behind the the everyday survival stuff, Ben. Um, yep. Before we kind of talk in, into it a little bit more, um, so I, I mean, obviously, kind of from having conversations with yourself and also having conversations with Greg as well, is that, and just from living living life and observing it we predominantly especially in New Zealand kind of live in quite a, a comfortable situation for for the most part so we're kind of we're not exposed well I myself personally I'm not exposed to kind of super frequent need for kind of survival uh, survival skills or survival mentality Whereas I think kind of from our, from our ancestral point of view, often our ancestors were, were placed in these situations relatively frequently. I think we've, we've kind of lost that, that mental training for being in those, in those situations. Um, and I'm getting to a question here very, very slowly in a very roundabout way. Um, but, I mean, in, in your experience, how, how kind of quickly do kind of people adapt back into the, into that situation? I mean, do we have kind of an inherent underlying, um, kind of almost, um, ability for survival if we've kind of been living in these comfortable situations when you kind of go and put someone in a survival situation with the work that you do? Do we tend to switch over relatively quickly or is that something that we kind of have no understanding about and just sort of freak out on? 
the best way I can probably answer that is using a knife as an knife as an example. Everyone's got a, f- a fight or flight response, and that's kind of our evolutionary uh, survival mechanism. And let's use the knife. Everyone's got that trait, the, that instinct in them, which is the knife. Um, but for people who have been living very abstract from this or just not living in the realms of this, it's going to be very, very blunt. Uh, the goal for me is to keep that very sharp. So, yes, everyone's going to understand survival when it punches them in the face or a situation does happen, but they're not probably going to... I don't think they have the skills or the mind stretch or not, the mindsets or knowledge to really navigate those situations well. It is a practice, it is a skill, and you do need to train at it, and, and without that, it is going to get very dull and very... Um, very dull knife, very blunt knife. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy. Actually, I, I'd never kind of yeah. thought about that sort of from a from a training perspective. And yeah, you know, anything in life is training. I mean, for you to be the best physio, for you to be the best ultra marathon runner, it's, it's just training, appropriate training and adaptation. Um, and we definitely have come a long way from our evolutionary survival needs. And I agree, in New Zealand, we are very, very sheltered. I mean, I can imagine your podcast is New Zealand, um, predominantly New Zealand listeners. Would that be correct? For, for the most part, probably about 50% New Zealand, yeah. 50% overseas. Sure, sure. But yeah, in New Zealand, we are very sheltered. We don't have a lot of urban threats, and we don't have a huge amount of wilderness threats either. Um, and I, I think that does bring a sense of complacency to the general public. And there is that understanding of survival is not superly important. We spoke about the book called Sapiens uh, by Yuval Harari last time. Did we? I think we did. We did. Yeah. yeah. I'm about four chapters in now. Oh, what what do you think? I really enjoy it actually. It's, um, it's fascinating and it's kind of interesting to, it's interesting to kind of see his take on, on uh, the, sort of sapiens journey yeah and i think it's very relevant for what we're talking about now in the sense that we do have the ability compared to other animals to believe in fictional stories now what that's done it's brought us fantastic things but in terms of everyday survival it's weakened us a lot because the way the human brain works in terms of placing importance on things is it places the importance of things we hear we're conditioned to most the things we do most often so that's school it's jobs it's paying bills it's it's everything but survival, basically. And the culture we're in, we're being conditioned to outsource survival. So we have other people to take care of that for us. So if someone does something bad to us, we call the police. If there is a medical emergency, we go to the hospital or we call 111. If there is a fire, we, you know, you know, you know what I mean. Mm. But, it, but, it, and the goal here is not to take that away from them because they're better trained than we are. But in, there's a difference between a problem and a survival situation. In a survival situation, the first responders are often too late. A very good example of that is in I think it was I think it was Sydney. It was either Sydney or Melbourne. I think it was Sydney two years ago in spring. Um, there was a massive storm there, and there was a ton of pollen getting released and heaps, a huge amount of people had asthma attacks. Now, obviously, the ambulance services are going to be overrun. And I think eight people, I think five of them were children, died on their front lawn because emergency services, uh, there just wasn't enough to go around. So a lot of people, eight people, I think five children died in their family's arms on their front lawn waiting for the ambulance that never came. 
Um, and again, it's just a great, great example of, you know, that, that was not a, that was a survival situation that was amplified by the amount of people who needed help. And obviously first responders could have dealt with that if they had the ability to get to those people, but they were just so overrun that they just couldn't handle it. And, you know, people really suffered. Mm. Um, yeah. So as, as a society, we're not, we're not, we're almost conditioned against the fact that we should be taking survival into our own hands. Um, and again, it's not to take away the fact that the police and other emergency responders have an incredible skill set and structure to help us. It's just the fact that, and again, I compare it to health. It's kind of like we live in a society now where taking health into your own hands is kind of weird. It's not frowned upon, but it's kind of an odd concept. You know, you go to your doctor to get your flu shot. You go to the chemist and you buy your body, uh, multivitamins. The idea of wild food foraging, the idea of sovereign health is kind of a weird thought. And it's kind of the same with this as well. You know, we're not really taught to have survival skills if first responders can't help us. Mm. You make you make really good points here, mate. I want to kind of jump into them a little bit more. Um, so, I mean, obviously, if the first responders can get there, these are the guys that are, are trained for, for dealing with all these situations. And I mean, the example that you used around around pollen um, before over in Australia, obviously, there are a whole lot of different types of survival situation that we can get put into, all of which kind of um, need to elicit a different response in us. I mean, I can imagine that um, the, the pollen response in Australia is quite different to... Um, being uh, lost in lost in the bush in New Zealand. With that, I mean, how do you how do you recommend that we approach kind of those different situations? Because they're they're going to take kind of from a practical point of view, take quite a few different skills. Do we need to kind of study up on all potentialities, or is there kind of an approach that we can we can use a little bit more? as an overarching guide for us? Yeah, very good question. The goal the goal is not to overwhelm people. It's not to make them paranoid. It's to make them prepared. Uh, no one wants to be paranoid. No one wants to be the American preppers. And you know, you know what I mean, those doomsday, doomsday preppers. What I want to teach is people preparedness. Um, now, what I've found and what sort of a lot of science is showing in terms of analyzing a lot of these situations and the skills behind them that have made them successful is there's very, some very basic ones that are highly transferable and they can be used in an urban situation, an earthquake scenario, a car crash, or like you said, stuck in the wilderness. Um, but one of the biggest things for me is to teach people to prevent these situations from happening. And the first one I, I place a huge importance on, a huge importance, and it's one that's very much overlooked, is being aware of your surroundings. And we sort of class that as situational awareness, which is basically the ability to identify, gather, and process information about what's happening around you at all times. Now, that can be – and it sounds very simple, but you could spend the rest – it's nothing – you're never going to perfect that. You could spend the rest of your life practicing it, and it can save – it's a, it's a very good preventative tool. And like I said, it's just the ability to be aware of what's around you the whole times at all times to stop problems happening, basically. 
um, in the wilderness that can be, I mean, the amount of times doing a hike, and there's a there's one down here called the Rob Roy Glacier, which is a very famous hike. The amount of people who just hike along that trail with their heads down, taking photos, and there's a lot of overhanging rocks, huge overhanging rocks. Now, one, it's a very sketchy trail as well in parts. Now, situational awareness is basically just looking for parts of the track that have slipped out, for objects that can fall on your head. Um, in an urban environment, it could be, are there people around you who want to cause you harm, who want to take what's yours? It can be pulling out of your driveway and um, seeing that there is a car that is not supposed to be there or is out of place. So I think situational awareness is a fantastic tool, and it's basically, like I said, the ability to identify, gather, and process information um, around you. Mm. Now, that can be used in many different ways. So let's take uh, Jane. She's an accountant. She works in the city at an accounting firm. Now, that can start in the morning when she pulls out of her driveway, and she notices there's cars that are out of place. That could be because she's just bought a new fridge, and she left the box outside, and so on plans on taking it. That could be the next door neighbor has some relatives and they've hired a car and they're staying next door for for a while. Uh, on the way to work, she can implement that by instead of just being in a conscious uh, driving daydream, she can start to process what cars are doing around them, the way drivers are driving, um, their skills. She can pick up on potential crashes before they happen. You know, she can get to work and she can all of a sudden start to realize where exits are if there's a fire. Uh, where the entries are, where, where are places to escape if she needs to. She can start using biometrics and atmospherics of understanding people's behaviors and their general energy of the room. Uh, let's take Phil, who's her supervisor. <clears throat> Phil's usually a very stable guy, but the last two weeks he's been very irrational, quite aggressive, um, and upset. You know, that could be him leading towards something quite dangerous, or that could be many things. That could be him having. His son could be sick, could be having relationship problems, and all he needs is a hug and some support. So it could be many things, but the goal is to pick up on subtleties around you with with the understanding and goal that it's a preventative measure, basically. Mm. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So we're looking out for kind of um, an, almost anomalies of, of, exactly. of things that sort of maybe pose potential threats to us. So, so, yeah. sorry, a lot of, um, a lot of people in this sort of area, they look for things that are wrong, people that are wrong, places that are wrong, uh, objects that are wrong, that could fall. But a big part of this is patterns of life and understanding what is right. Because once you get a really good understanding of what is right in the places you frequent most and in your daily life, it's a damn sight easier to pick up things that are wrong. Like you said, the anomalies. So I think it goes both ways having the ability to process information about things that are potentially wrong, but also things that are right. Because when you really hone in on that, understand it and uh, get a grasp for it, you get to see a lot clearer the things that are wrong. Mm. Mm. Interesting. How do we understand what is right? How, how can we pick that up in our environment? In your immediate environment is quite easy in areas that you don't frequent often. It's quite hard. So, I mean, using yourself as an example, using myself as an example, there's places that are frequent, there's patterns of life and they form patterns and they're normally quite frequent. So there's normally cars on your street. There's normally types of cars that are on your street. There's normally people that walk past your house. There's normally certain people and places that you go to. There's normally patterns that happen 
And it's normally for a reason. Uh, when you go outside of your comfort area, outside of your immediate surroundings, say you travel to Auckland or down to Wanaka, that's going to be very hard to do. But like I said, there could be cars outside your house and you're instantly going to think, I've never seen that car before. Why is it Why is it there? And like I said, it could be because you've left something out of the house that they've identified and you target. Or it could be the next door neighbor has just got some relative staying in the part of a rental car. It could be one of many things. But within people's lives, they do have patterns, normal um, patterns of life. And when they really start to be aware of that, they get to understand what's right and what's wrong and what's way and what stands out. Mm. So it's, I, I would imagine that for most people that would kind of happen on a subconscious level that often we're not aware of how much we're picking up around ourselves sort of within kind of our, our usual day-to-day routines because it is regular, because it is something that yeah. is, is familiar to us. But I mean, with what you're saying in regards to the situational awareness, it's um, improving our ability to to kind of process this information in a more um, conscious manner. In, yeah, in a more conscious manner. Yeah. So Ben, for the people that do kind of um, operate on a little bit more of a subconscious level and they're wanting to improve their their consciousness and their self-awareness, how would someone kind of start going about doing that and start kind of training that uh, situational awareness in themselves? I think the easiest and most effective way is just to start with everyday things that everyday people do. I mean, every day we have to wake up, we have to leave our house, um, we get the ability to see what's on the street, people around us, we get to drive, so we get to see how cars operate in terms of how, how people are driving. Uh, we get to, If we really pay attention, you get to see cars swerving, you get to work, you get to see behaviours, um, and, and the more you do it, the more you pick up on it. So my advice is just to start small and ju- just start to be aware, start to try and listen, pick up on things. Um, just be more observant of things around you, how cars travel, um, things that look out of place, people's um, people's body language, the way the way they're conducting themselves, and, and just just use tasks that are happening in everyday life. Mm. So it's kind of um, using the using the small things that you do on a daily basis, and Absolutely. when you kind of, when you remember to do them, just kind of stopping, take a minute, exactly. take in your surroundings, and kind of be aware of of what's going on. Absolutely, and just look to look to do that a few times a day and, and build from there. That sort of thing. Absolutely, and I mean, like I said, it's just a fantastic tool because in a survival situation, people go from absolutely going about their their daily habits you know just 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 normal stuff then they go straight to action how do i get out of the situation but with situational awareness or or sort of this form of training you've normally got two steps before that one is the awareness so you're normally aware of what is happening and then you get to assess a problem so you might see someone walking towards you in a dark alley who's not looking right and because you've been practicing this type of training you you pick up on that you understand the biometrics you understand something's not quite right And then you can go from there before going to an action plan, you can go to an assessing plan, which is basically just assessing what you're going to do. So before you have to action something, you've normally got two steps, which is the situational awareness uh, and the assessment phase, which buys you a lot of time and and just saves your ass. Mm. 
so we we can train our situational awareness by actually just kind of stopping being present looking for things that are in place or out of place and being conscious yeah. around it when we when we see a problem do you have a process that you go through in terms of an assessment when you when you encounter something? Do you have like a, a paradigm or a strategy that you use for a quick problem assessment? Not really, because everyone's going to be every situation is going to be very, very, very different, and it's hard to sort of um, give a blanket answer for that. If not really, you just um, throw an example at me. Um. So you, oh, good, good question. I wasn't prepared for that question. You, you put me on the spot here. Um, I mean, for so, example, if someone's walking, like I said, if I'm walking up a dark alley and I'm by myself, I'm going to move to the side. If I'm not liking the general feeling of that in my gut, if I can physically see through body language or something else that things really aren't quite right, I'm going to go from an awareness phase to an assessment phase very quickly. And that is basically, look, this person, I'm not happy with what's happening here. I'm in a dark alley. This is not, I'm not happy. Um, So it's basically just identifying the problem. Assessing is identifying the problem, uh, really isolating what is going wrong and, and what could potentially happen from there, leading to an action phase. Using a car crash, for an example, if if a car is coming head on, what most people will do is they often just lock up the brakes. They go into a startle reflex like a baby does and they just lock up the brakes. Now, the better you get at this, the more you get to think in a logical way instead of an emotional way and you get to actually assess the problem. Most people go into a really just freeze mode because like I said, the the blade is not sharp. They have this fight or flight response, but they don't have the tools to execute it well. Um, so assessing is basically just understanding you've gone from an awareness point of view you're not quite at the action point of view or the executing point of view but you're in an assessing stage where you understand you're shifting some of your mental focus from being aware of what's going on around and you shift it to okay you're isolating something you're isolating a problem or a potential problem um, and you're drawing most of your attention to that so to use the the car crash as an example, obviously that's a that's a reasonably stri- extreme example, and we're kind of both enjoy the the kind of concept of training skills. From from that point of view, to train in that situation um, is is obviously very risky because you don't have that skill set to appropriately assess the situation straight off the bat. So you're you're creating a huge risk to yourself. So it kind of makes sense to me that, hey, we want to train those skills um, prior to kind of putting ourselves in that situation. And I've heard you use the uh, the acronym STOP before. Is that kind of a process that might be appropriate to, to implement in this problem assessment stage? It's basically the same thing. It's stopping and identifying a problem um, before you go to the orientation and sort of the action or the plan of what you're going to do about it. So it's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, that can take you, – you can take 10, 10 minutes to do that or you can take yeah. – I mean, the Air Force fighters um, who fly jets, I think they can go through the whole stop process in 
literally a split of a second. Yeah. Can you explain the stop process and what it what it is? Because I think it, it probably is quite a valuable one for people who want to start to train that assessment, that problem assessment. Absolutely. I think it's an incredible tool. STOP basically means stop, think, orientate, and plan. And it's just an acronym people can use when they find themselves in sticky situations, whether it be business, personal, financial, um, an an accident, a survival situation. And again, the more you practice it, the better it gets. So the first thing is just to stop. In survival situations, a lot of people, what actually makes them a survival situation is the fact that people keep on pushing. Um, an example could be, we spoke about this in our last survival courses, the sun's going down, you're still in the mountains, but people try and hike their way out through the dark. They try and cross the river, they keep pushing instead of thinking, okay, look, it's five o'clock, it's, we've only got half an hour of daylight, it's at least an hour and a half to the truck, let's just stop and, and think about what we're doing here. Whereas a lot of people would sort of panic in that situation and they would keep on hiking, trying to find the car, uh, because that's where they know it's, where safety is. So stopping is basically just isolating a, a, a situation before it turns into a problem. Then you can sort of go to the thinking phase, which is you really you've stopped, you've taken stock of where you're at. Then you can sort of go through assets and liabilities and really think about what could be the problem where you're at. And again, using the up in, a mount, up in the wilderness or out, up in the mountains um, as a scenario, thinking is basically saying, look, we're an hour and a half from the truck. We've got 30 minutes from daylight. We don't have very good visibility. We're not massively familiar with the area that we're in. Um, an option might just be to set up camp. We've got food. We've got water. We've got heating supplies. We've got a tent. Let's just stay the night here. Um, and that's sort of the process to re- really think about your assets and liabilities, basically. And orientating is basically the same thing. And it's just sort of taking stock of what's good, what's bad, instead of taking the pros and cons instead of um, formulating a plan from there. Okay, cool. So it's, yeah, it's, it's taking that minute for yourself to, uh, to not kind of keep pushing in, um, assessing sort of thinking about, Hey, this is what's going on. These are, these are the potential um, opportunities or potential paths that I could, that I could take and then kind of moving into the into the planning phase from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's going it's going about a situation in a very abstract logical way rather than an emotional sort of subconscious way. Mm, mm. And, and again, think- it's a, it's a preventative measure or it can be in a literal survival situation, but it's it's fantastic as a preventative measure to stop before these problems do happen. Yeah, it's so being in a survival situation is kind of like a, like a rite of passage in this sort of world. How many situations have you been in? How many have you got out of? And I think it's quite a backwards way of thinking because the goal, I think, for anyone should be to avoid that situation at all costs. And I think the real measure of one's skill is basically how they can avoid that in the first place. Mm, yeah, yeah, and that makes that makes complete sense. And I think, again, it, it's probably that building that training and building that base at using – either the, the stop um, framework or using kind of another framework for assessing a situation. And then as you get better at that, kind of um, progressively exposing yourself to more um, dangerous or more uncomfortable or more uh, p- kind of potential survival uh, aspects of it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think the more you practice this, the better you get. Now, a lot of your viewers, a lot of your listeners are have, have, probably have an absolute right to say that sounds like a lot of work and it sounds quite paranoid. The feeling you get from this sort of training, this sort of preparedness, this sort of awareness, I think is very, very liberating. It's the opposite of paranoid. Now, I think using uh, nutrition or exercise as an example, humans are designed to feel very good from physical stresses. And when they're eating well, they feel good. Now, if someone's been away from exercise for a long time, starting back is probably going to feel quite hard. Mm-hmm. But once they sort of build up that platform, they adapt, they sort of get stronger, they feel fitter, they're more happy with their physique, or they're, they're just a healthier person nutritionally. That they so, so if someone's been off this sort of for a long time, they're very disconnected with the style of training, this way of thinking, there is going to be a bit of a hard process to start it. But I think humans, just like we have a desire to feel healthy or be in incredible health, feel fit and strong and be able to run 60K like you did the other day, I think humans have a real strong desire to be aware, be prepared and have that confidence of just feeling safe. Um, And I think it's something, like you said at the very beginning, it's a lost art in today's society and people just sort of scrape by and Mm. in situations. But I think we do have a desire to feel confident, secure and safe, not just for ourselves not for ourselves, but for our family. And I think this style of training doesn't bring a paranoid approach to it. It brings a, just a, a real sense of confidence. Mm. Yeah, that that's interesting. And I think, I mean, from, from what you're saying with it, it sounds like um, that, that fe- obviously that feeling of safety is really important, but if we kind of gradually build into the, into the challenge and kind of continually challenge ourselves, if we hadn't been training a situation that may be potentially unsafe or may potentially feel unsafe for us now becomes a situation that we're safe in because we're prepared for it and we're, and we're ready for it. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing as like, I'm sure at the start of your training period or cycle for the marathon, running 60 K was probably quite a daunting task, but you know, you stand up on the start line and you're fine because you've done it many times in training mentally. You understand what you're about to go through. So obviously it's still going to be hard and very challenging like a survival situation would be. But if people have some mental, emotional and physical adaptation to what they're about to go through, um, they're going to survive much better. Hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I before the sixty k, mate, I'll just let you in on a secret here. I hadn't run sixty k before. The furthest I'd done was kind of high forties, so it was still a little bit of a survival situation for me there. It'd probably be it'd probably be very detrimental if you did do sixty k leading into it. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. You, I, I'll I'll take that. Uh, yeah, take yeah, that from you. Uh, <laughs> there's there's some good coaching advice there. Um, Ben. I mean, we've talked about situational awareness. We've talked about problem assessment there. The next step, I'm assuming, is is action. Action, absolutely. Um, and again, that only comes through – each one is going to be absolutely different. I mean, like I said, if I'm in a dark alley by myself and I see a bad person coming towards me or what I assume to be a bad person, the assessment or the action is going to be very different if I'm by myself or if I'm with uh, Belle and my child. Or if I'm with a group of friends. Um, likewise, if we're out in the wilderness and I'm by myself, every situation is different. And the beauty of that is very hard to quantify what one's going to do in theory and talking about it like we are now. But 
the more you practice this and the more situations, whether it be um, inferior practice, the more situations you go through, the easier you get navigating that response. Mm. And I mean, I would imagine that in, in terms of if you've done the situational awareness well, if you've done the problem assessment well, then the action should actually just be a natural flow on from that. It, it does. Shouldn't actually- it does. And I, I guess a good example is in earthquake situations, a lot of people, if they're in a building, they will just sort of stand still, they'll freeze and they'll say, what do we do? What do we do? We haven't been told by an authority what to do. Um, and that was quite evident with the Christchurch earthquakes a long time ago. But a lot of people just froze and waited for instructions, as in they had no plan of what to do, basically. So if you're if you've been doing this sort of training, you're aware of the potential dangers. If you're in a building, you will know the entries, you know the exits, you know the safe spots, you know strong structures to hide under if it was an earthquake. Um, you'll also have a level of preparedness. You'll have some stuff with you, which we can talk about a bit later as well. But your logical response will just be in tune. It'll be a byproduct of all the other training you've been doing. And you'll just respond accordingly or you should respond accordingly um, to whatever that situation needs. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hard one to quantify and sort of um, and say in a theory point of view because each situation would be different um, depending on who you're with, by yourself, what you've got on you, what your preparedness is, um, the time of day it is. But like I said, if you've been going through this style of training, your logical response would have been at the forefront and you would have gone through this many times and you you will just sort of instinctively, you'll be in tune with what to do, basically. Mm. And I mean, kind of using the the earthquake um, as an example, obviously kind of practical training is the most beneficial in being able to to do this stuff, but does theoretical training and kind of running thought experiments for yourself, does that also play an important role in training yourself? Yeah, I think visualization is a very powerful tool in any aspect of life, whether it be sport. I'm sure you did a lot for your ultramarathon, uh, business, personal life. But I think as we live in a world now where survival situations aren't every day, we can't physically train for it. Um, we can use the beauty of the internet, whether it be YouTube, social media, the news, and see other people's misfortunes, unfortunately, um, and sort of go through that and see what happened, what they could have done better, what the problem was, and what what what, what we could do if that was us um, in that situation. So I think using visualizing situations and seeing other problems is something I do quite a lot, actually, just for my personal training and, and just for... So I can help others with that as well, but I how, think it's a very beneficial tool. How do you do it, Ben? Like when you when you see something like that, do you kind of just run like a, a thought experiment, or do you sit down and kind of write it out, or, or what's your process? Um, again, I used to put quite a bit of time into it. Now I've got quite good at it. I can kind of do it on the fly. I kind of just I see what the situation is, um, whether it could be a terrorist attack, it could be a car crash, it could be train going off the road obviously can't help much with that but whatever the situation is and i sort of realize what the problem is realize who was affected um and just sort of put myself in the situation was a were those people aware you know look at how they're acting look at their behaviors their body language um and just see if see what ways it could have been prevented and if not what uh what my sort of plan would be if i was faced with that 
Mm. So you've you've kind of trained yourself to be able to kind of assess those those problems pretty quickly yeah. now. Um, but uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. you know, and that was that was something that came naturally. That that took quite a bit of training, mental and physical and emotional. But over time, you just do get to isolate the problem a lot quicker and sort of form a plan about what you would do and what you do differently as well. Mm. That's one thing that we haven't really talked about. Actually, is the emotional effect of the stuff as well as there's obviously there's the physical um there's the kind of the, the mental training and the mental focus but emotions play a play a big part of that as well so you're saying that you needed to to train your emotions as well when you were absolutely yeah the, what, the mental the mental and the emotional uh they're, they're in some ways very intertwined but they can be quite separate as well there was a study done in china I think in the early 2000s, and they they wanted to see what people did emotionally, and again, mentally as well. They marched them over a bridge. They'd been on a long hike, and on one side was home where their cars were, the car park, and the other side was where they'd just been hiking, and they marched them over a bridge, and what the test was to simulate the bridge collapsing, and they wanted to see which people, which way the direction people would run. Now, the, one of the things was they only marched them out a quarter of the way over the bridge from the side that they were walking. Then they simulated it collapsing and 95% of the people ran towards the car even though they were, you know, there was obviously from an abstract, from us looking at the experiment, a very silly thing to do because they had three quarters of the bridge to run and only one quarter of the way to run back to safety. Now, obviously, if there was a real-life situation, most people would have died, I would imagine. Um, but it's just a good experiment to think to sort of understand the way people think in a very hostile or dangerous or emotional situation. Mm. And I, th- I think the more people practice this, the, I mean, we, we get, um, we get, we, in a survival situation, we, we get an absolute flood of chem- biochemicals and hormones and they can cause us, it's basically like, I think you said with Greg's podcast, it is the, you have a, you have a round in the chamber. Now, basically, your training leading into this decides which way you're going to shoot the gun. Um, so, again, the more we do this, the more we sort of go through the visualization, the more we can actually do it in practice and theory, the more control we're going to have of our emotions. And the goal with that is basically just to have a much more calculated response and a safer response. Mm. Yeah, and that, I mean, that makes sense to me, kind of, not just in, in survival situations, but also kind of in, um, day to day situations as well, where sometimes our Absolutely. emotions may get the better of us. Absolutely. And I, th- I think the beautiful thing about this is it's not just isolated to survival. The benefits aren't just in a survival situation. They're in every aspect of life. They're highly transferable. And the more we practice this in everyday aspects of life, like we don't need to go out and climb Everest to benefit from this. Um, we can do it in everyday things that we do, everyday tasks, and we get benefits in all areas, mm. which is nice. Which is nice because it's much more gives a lot, much more longevity to what we're trying to do here. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and obviously, you get to apply the apply the skills that you know in a, a lot more situations rather than just kind of hanging out for a survival situations to to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. One thing that I wanted to ask you, Ben, is I mean. Preparation is obviously key. It's sharpening the knife. It's getting us ready for for challenging situations. But 
there is, I'm assuming, a balance between planning and preparing for everyday survival and just worrying the hell out of yourself, um, just kind of overly worrying about things. Do you have any tips or have you had that, that challenge yourself in, in balancing between the the preparation and the planning and doing too much of that? It is a fine balance and it's a really good question. Now, there's a there's a show and there's a big culture American in America called the sort of Doomsday Preppers. Now, these are the guys who buy gas masks, carry them in their truck. They have thousands of rounds of ammunition. They have nine years' worth of baked beans. Um, and they're sort of – they're not looking for the, for the end of the world, but they're sort of really planning for it. And I, I call them paranoid. I don't think it's a healthy way to live. And I don't think it's a practical way to live either or beneficial. Um, I call myself prepared, not paranoid. And, again, there, there's a fine balance, and you can go too far sometimes. But you don't want this to be on your mind. You don't want it to be stressing out about it. When you leave the house, you don't want to be sort of worried about if you've got all the gear you need to safely conduct yourself through the day. So you can go too far sometimes. But I think um, I think if you're conscious about it, if, you, if as long as you're getting enjoyment out of this and understanding the benefit of it, I don't think there's too much risk at all. But there there are people who are paranoid, most definitely. Um, and I think you want to make a really strict distinction between the two of being prepared yeah, I, I think that's a that's a very valuable point as well. Um, one, yeah, one thing I mean, might... paranoid, paranoid, in anything. I mean, it could be. I mean, there's people paranoid in the health world. You know, they'll never go to a bar and have a burger and fries. Uh, they'll sit there feeling very anxious about it, or if they do feel, or if they do eat it, they'll be very upset with themselves. And they'll, I think, the anxiousness does far more damage than the actual eating of the burger and, and the beer or fries. Um, and then, you know, there's people who uh, can't go a day without having a workout, whether it be the gym or going for a run or some sort of physical workout. And again, I, th- I think that's paranoid. I think that's gone too far. So I think prepared or the, the efficient level of what you're trying to do versus paranoid can be any aspect of life. But and I think it's very relevant to this as well. Mm, yeah, and I mean, in different aspects of myself uh, of my life, I I kind of struggle with that sometimes uh, is kind of how far is, is too far with this is sort of when Absolutely. do I, when do I pull back? Where, where do I kind of draw the line? And I've found over time that it varies that sometimes I'm okay pushing, pushing further. Um, and then again, it's, it's that kind of awareness of myself and, the, and that consciousness that I'll think, Oh, actually this feels like I'm going too far or actually this feels like I'm, I'm not going quite far enough. I'm, I'm not caught, not prepared or I've, I've crossed over that, crossed over that line. And I think that line is probably going to differ. It definitely differs for me and probably going to differ for other people based on, um, a, a range of factors as well, like the environment, what else is going on for them at the time. Um, Things, things that they have to deal with their, their general health, kind of what they're, what they're working towards. Cause it, it, it bounces around. Um, but one thing I was thinking as well is that when you, when you said prepared versus paranoid, I'm, I'm going to bet you, mate, that those doomsday, uh, preppers think that they're just prepared as well. They are. And I, again, that's the answer to your question is very individual and it's hard to sort of put a, 
an equation or answer on that because it is just so personal. I mean, for me, I mean, I do this work all day, every day. It's always on my mind. It's not, it's not work to me. It's a way of thinking. It's a lifestyle. It's a way you conduct yourself at all times. Um, just like with my cold water training, just like with my nutrition, it's important to me and I want to see how well I can get it. Like I said last time, I never want to get caught with my pants down and, you know, it's, it's not till, obviously I love my fiance very, very much, but it's not till you have a sort of a child, uh, or for me anyway, that I sort of realized there is no two ways in hell that I'm going to let anything happen to myself my baby, my dog, or my future wife, um, because I was not ready. Now, again, is it, am I going to let that get to a paranoid phase? I don't, I don't want to, and I don't think I need to. I think I can prepare myself well enough to basically uh, face and work through any situation that presents itself. Um, but, yeah, it, it is a very individual answer, how far do people take it, just the same way it is with nutrition or business, study, or exercise, um, it, it's what the individual goals are and what they want to achieve out of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone's a unique individual. Um, they are. People. They are. I mean, for, for me personally, there's, there's, there's ways that I think when I'm in town, I'm, I'm always looking for things. I'm not profiling, but I'm looking out for people, looking out for dangers, um, whether it be urban wilderness. And there's always things I carry with me. You know, I've always got my everyday carry. I've got my car kit. I've got my home preparedness. Um, so I like to think I'm pretty much covered in every angle. Mm. Let's, I mean, let's have a chat about them. Actually, I mean, the the things that kind of from a from a practical point of view, people could could implement as well as the training that we've we've talked about. But what what sort of stuff do you carry with you, and what sort of stuff do you have in your car and your home? Well, this goes back to there's there's three things I like to sort of isolate that can really help people avoid a problem. One is the situational awareness, being aware of your surroundings, which we've covered in quite depth. The other one is preparedness, and the other one is logical response training, which you spoke about a bit. So we've sort of missed out the uh, preparedness, which we'll cover now. But those are the three main ones I really like to focus on because it gives people just such an edge in terms of avoiding a problem before it punches them in the face. So preparedness, I think, is very key. It's basically having things that you can use um, to stop a problem or to make your life a damn sight easier if a problem does occur. So there's three sort of areas and categories I sort of break it down into. One is EDC, or my everyday carry. They're things that I have on my person at all times. One is sort of things in my car carry, things that I'm going to have in the car at all times. And one is things I'm going to have at home. So basically any any place I am, whether it be home, driving, or... Um, just by myself in town or in the bush, there's things I'm going to have with me that are going to really help me out if a problem does occur or shit does hit the fan. So in an urban environment, again, it depends on where I am, but just my, my normal urban, urban everyday carry, I've normally got a flashlight. If I'm going out at night, I've got a larger one. If I'm in the day, I've got a much smaller one, sort of a pocket one. I've got a I've got a switchblade, just, just a knife that I carry. Again, it can be used for many, many things. Um, I've got cash, I've got phone, I've got a survival bracelet with a little bit of paracord on it. Um, what else? That's pretty much it. Um, again, a lot of mental things. I know where water is, I know where food is. I've got a set of gloves with me at most times. And normally just shoes. Um, that's my sort of everyday carry that I normally carry around with me, which sort of sets me up for most things. My sort of car carry is a bit more detailed in the back of the truck. I've got a large hold in Colorado, so putting plenty of stuff in there isn't too much of an issue. 
but I've got a couple of big 50, 50 60 liter uh, plastic tubs in the back there. Um, what? You okay. Sorry, mate. Um, and those are sort of have a bit more detailed stuff. And again, that changes from summer to winter to autumn to spring. But for winter time, I've got some winter boots in there. I've got a sleeping bag. I've got some woolen blankets. I always carry a big 20-liter jerry can full of water, whether it be the fact that we need water or if the car overheats or something like that. So I've always got warmth. I've got water. I've got a bit of food. I've got some cream rice. I've got some peanut butter, some muesli bars in there. So if we are out for a week or a night stuck in the mountains, um, or in a storm, we're going to have food, we're going to have warmth. I've got some fire lighting equipment, got some rope. I've got a small tomahawk axe that I keep under my seat. Again, I've got some lighting solutions. I've got some torches in there um, and some knives. And again, it is basic things. And, and the goal of this is not to make people go spend $1,000 after this and go buy a bunch of stuff. You might start with putting a first aid kit. Oh, that's another thing. We've got a first aid kit under the seat. We've also got a fire extinguisher. And they're just basic things that are going to enable you to really thrive in any situation that does happen. And like I said, the, the idea is not to race out and listen to the list I've railed off and go out and buy all of that stuff. You might start with a torch. You might put a blanket in the car. You might put a small bag with some appropriate shoes in there for the season. You might put a water bottle in there. You might uh, get a first aid kit. But it's just building up a small stockpile of things Again, not making yourself paranoid. I leave those things in the back of the truck. I don't really know they're there until I need them. And they're just things that if we are out in the vehicle or in a place, not at home or by myself, that I know I'm going to have some things that I can rely on. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. How how frequently do you have to pull them out? Uh, never. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, they're never there. And like I said earlier, 99.999% of the time, we're never going to need the stuff, but it only takes one time of not being prepared to have life-changing consequences. And I think that's a really critical thing people need to understand. You know, most of the time, we will never, ever use the stuff or need to draw on it. But as everyday news and history shows, that these things do happen. And the, the question people need to ask themselves is, what are they willing to let go? And like I said, for me, I am never willing to let myself or my family get hurt. Um, and that's just the form of training I implement. So that's something I live by. Um, it's just not going to happen. So it might be once in a lifetime I actually need to draw on those things. But what it does mean is that if I ever do need to use them, they are there and they are at the ready. Mm. Yeah. And again, they don't, they don't, they don't take any impact on my life. They're not something I, when I leave the house, I sort of go through a checklist. I don't sort of restock it every day. They stay in the back of the truck. I'm not sure on space. And um, they, they just they just live there basically. Mm, very cool, mate. Ben, are there any other any other kind of topics that we we haven't touched on around the the preparedness? So I mean, we've been preparing preparing mentally, preparing practically. Are there other parts of the preparation that we haven't chatted about? I think one area that people sort of fall down on is the home preparedness um, in terms of gear they can have. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and they had a fantastic everyday carry. They had a great, um, they had a great sort of car kit and they had some decent stuff at home as well. And I said, well, what's your sort of night gear like? And he sort of looked at me weird. So if you think about it, it's winter time at the moment. It's dark from about six to, oh, I don't know, seven thirty, eight o'clock. Um, 
thoughts out there, that's 40% of the day in the dark or let's say 30% of the time you're asleep. There's quite a good probability that something could happen throughout those hours. Now, things that I always keep beside me, I mean, imagine if there's an earthquake whilst you're asleep. There's glass shattering, there's bits breaking, running through that and carrying things, you're going to get cut up, you're going to get hurt quite bad. Plus, you don't really want to run outside naked and wait out with your neighbors naked. So, again, some very basic things. I always have a pair of small gloves and shoes just under my bed. Um, they live there. It means that if there is a problem, I can just put them on. I can navigate things. I'm not going to get cut at all. Um, and I can operate well. I've always got a flashlight next to the bed as well. And, again, they're not things that I always, when I go to bed, I do a checklist. They just live there. And I know that if something does happen throughout the night, um, I'm going to be far better prepared. So again, it's just it's just sort of the goal is just to have some very basic things around you that you can call on at all times, and you develop them to the point where they become part of your subconscious. And on our last survival course, I use crossing the road as quite a good analogy and example. Now, using yourself as an example, Chris, if you can sort of tell me what your sort of survival plan is when you cross the road. So when I cross the road, um, I'll uh, come up towards kind of the edge of the road. I'll be I'll be listening. I'll be looking at um, to start with kind of the area that I want to cross the road in and have a little bit of a look around there, make sure it's going to be an appropriate area. As I get closer, I'll be kind of looking either way. Um, just to kind of see what's see what's coming um, and also to kind of the part that I want to exit the road um, and yeah continuing to kind of listen to to what's what's there as well yep. so I'm using I'm using and that's a fantastic and that's a fantastic plan I think for your detail but uh, but in a lot of ways you do that you do that in a subconscious level don't you oh definitely I had to think about that yeah yeah, I mean, and I guess the reason for that is at a young age, your parents probably told you, or they they placed the importance and the dangers of crossing the roads, and they taught you from a very young age how to do it safely. And again, I use that example because I think it's very relevant to this, is you cross the road, I mean, most of the times, a lot of people don't actually even look. They've done it so well that they're just so attuned, they, they just get a sixth sense for if it's okay to do it or not. And that's the goal of this is you want to not be paranoid. You just want to be prepared and you want to build this up to the point where it becomes part of your subconscious where you don't really think about it. You just, you're always situationally aware. You're always prepared. You just have an incredible logical response instead of emotional response. And you've done it so many times in so many small parts of your life that it just becomes a subconscious behavior, like crossing the road, basically. Mm. Yeah, that's it. You know, like when, when I... When I leave the house, I'm looking for things. I don't con uh, consciously think I'm looking at things, but I'm always scanning. You know, when I leave the house, I've always got some certain things with me. Um, you know, when I go to bed, I do a few checklists. You know, the oven's off. I've got things under the bed. I've got my shoes there. I've got my gloves there. My torch is there. It's not something I spend half a minute, half an hour sort of rocking back and forth, panicking about. I just, at a subconscious level, I just know that there are things there that I need. And again, that, that was just something because I've done it so often for so long now that they just um it's just become part of my subconscious mm. it's, yeah. it's kind of like a it's kind of another analogy it's kind of like a long-term savings account you don't sort of the goal is not to put 20 30 40 thousand dollars in at a time just like the goal is not to quit your job for six months and do the sort of training the goal is to sort of drip feed small amounts of money every week to 
the point where you can call on it at some time when you buy a house or for a big occasion. The same is for a survival training. You know, the goal is to not spend ridiculous amounts of money on equipment or quit your job and go off doing survival training. The goal is just to do this in small increments all day, every day, to the point where it doesn't really, you're not even really thinking about it. So when the one time comes that you do need to respond well, you've just got such a stockpile of um, experiences, information, knowledge, just like you would with a long-term saving account that you can just draw on it instantly. Mm, definitely. And Ben, I mean, I think that's some some great information that we've we've covered off today in regards to that. Is there anything else that we've that we've missed? Not really. And I mean, I think the goal is to be ahead of the game, be in the offensive, not defensive. Um, but I think the same with health, the same with exercise, the same with work, same with life. Is once you sort of start to take an interest in something, you understand the benefit of it you're naturally going to evolve and just start learning more about it. So, I mean, there's a lot of offensive, oh, sorry, defensive survival training as well. But I think the biggest things, in, in my opinion, are the situational awareness, the preparedness, and the ability to logically respond instead of emotionally respond. And I think if you can really master those, and again, I'm, I'm never going to master those, and I don't think anyone ever will, whatever work capacity they are in. But the goal is just to keep on pushing and just keep on in small sustainable ways keep on practicing it um and from there just natural survival training will evolve Mm. yeah and i heard a heard a great uh quote the other day is that you only become a master when you die um because that's when you that's when you stop learning but i think ben i mean you you've given today some really great tips around all of those all of those topics um some starting points for people um to kind of get the ball rolling on them um specifically the the situational awareness the preparedness and the, the logical response training if people do want to take things a bit further and want to uh come down and run, go on one of the courses with you and in new age primal to sort of work on these in, in a more practical envir- environment how can they find out more about you how can they can uh listen to to more or look at more of what you're uh, what you're talking about the best way is probably through our website or social media we're on instagram at new age primal we're on facebook as well i think it's at new age primal or our website which has all that information and links and a lot of um content that we write as well like i said we'll have our ebook coming out hopefully within a couple of weeks where a lot of this information will be on there in quite detail, um, which is newageprimal.co.nz. Um, and from there, you'll be able to find out what we're doing and relevant information. If you do want to learn more, we'll be able to direct you in the best course as well that suits you. Perfect. That sounds that sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to uh, the ebook coming out. We might have to do a bit of a giveaway for some of the podcast listeners, actually. Uh, cool, mate. Um, ben... Before we before we tie this up, actually, we were talking before we started recording, um, and this is kind of a personal question uh, about stra- personal and the fact that hey, I want these to apply to my, to my life. Talking about strategies for dealing with procrastination, and that's I mean that's something that we kind of uh, struggle with, and almost one of the it's one of the barriers to preparedness. Um, 
do you have any any strategies that you use to to implement uh, to kind of get over the over the procrastination and over the stuff that you you maybe not enjoy so much, but it's kind of working towards your bigger goal. Uh, yes and no, and I think the first thing with understanding this is a lot of people get quite upset and anxious and they feel bad about themselves because they uh, do like procrastinating. Well, they're all they are very good at procrastinating. And I'm probably the world's best procrastinator. And I think the reason behind that is they don't like doing that stuff. And again, humans aren't really evolved. And you spoke about this a lot with Greg. Humans aren't evolved to write an ebook. That's not something that makes them happy. They're not evolved to sit in traffic for 12 hours or write content on their website. Um, I'd rather be out fishing or hunting with you or hiking in the mountains. So the things that I do well are things that I actually enjoy. And the things that I procrastinate are things that um, I'm not really evolved to enjoy in the first place. So I think the first thing is just not feeling bad about that because it's not a biological evolutionary trait to enjoy those sorts of things. But I think I think it's just strategizing. This is, this is what I do. I just try and shape it the way I enjoy it the most. Um, so there's things with New Age Prom that I don't enjoy sort of on the back-end business side of it. So again, I'm trying to shape it in a way that I enjoy it the most. It gives me the most happiness. Um, and for me, I just try and do it as quick as possible. Just rip the Band-Aid off instead of dragging it out for long periods of time is probably my um, only advice. Again, I'm not an expert at it um, in any means. Mm, yeah. And I, th- I mean, that's, that's one of the challenges. It's much easier to train procrastination than it is to train anything else. But yeah, I think yeah, you're kind of uh, making things fun, making it almost a little bit of a game yeah. to to do it yeah. and, and doing it quickly. Yeah, I think I think everything we do is an opportunity for change, and I think everything we do can be changed, and we can shape it in the direction that is better for us. So, I mean, my life is basically just I need to work, I enjoy work, I enjoy what I do, but I enjoy having time off with my family a lot more than I enjoy working. So my goal is to find a way I can do the most beneficial courses to A, provide for my family and also to help people, but also in a way that I can have a lot of time off and a lot of time spent with my family because that's where I get the most pleasure. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think the whole time we have an opportunity to direct things the way that is uh, that brings us happiness, brings us more happiness. Yeah, very cool. I I completely agree with that. And uh, yeah, I, I like the... The concept of happiness that you use there as well is that uh, it's a little bit of work and, think, and it's a lot of family. And I think the more we, the beauty of doing this sort of training is we, we understand progression, we understand evolution of a train of thought. And if someone can take the time to start with situational awareness, preparedness, logically thinking, um, all the way through to survival training, it means they've, they've had the ability to to have sort of a higher vision and sort of understand the benefit of something. The same with exercise or nutrition. If someone's taking the time to make those changes within themselves, they can make it in other areas as well. And this is the beauty of this sort of stuff is if you can take that time to really go through it and train yourself well in specific areas, they do take some effort. They're not easy at at the start. It's amazing what you can do in other areas of your life as well. Mm, Yeah. That's that's a really interesting point, actually, is yeah. that it kind of builds confidence off the back of that. It does. That, it that does. Initial... And again, all all these skills are highly transferable. If you can, if you can go from being very unfit 
to uh, an endurance event, or if you can go from a bad state of health to eating really well and being metabolically healthy, having all your biomarkers and a great check, um, and just being an overall healthy person, that means you've done something very, very hard. Um, in, t- in today's society and world, that, that, that's a rarity. So I think those skills, I mean, the physical getting fitter, that's just a byproduct. The actual getting healthier, that's just a byproduct. But I think the most important thing is the mental and the emotional changes that happens with that and how many other areas of life they can be used. Mm. And I think that the survival stuff that we've, we've talked about today is, is just can be very vital in, in that as well. And then it just transfers right across. Ben, before, um, before I last ask you the last question, I just want to say thank you again for, for taking the time, uh, to have a chat with me tonight. Um, despite the, the internet problems that have, that have cropped up, thank you for, for teaching me more about the, the mental and emotional aspects of, of everyday survival and how I can apply them, uh, into my, into my own life. And thanks for being an example of that. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to talk and share this information with like-minded people. Uh, it's it's always brilliant to chat with you, mate. Now, before we wrap up, I've I've asked you all our our regular questions a couple of months ago when we talked last. But do you have any challenges to leave me and the listeners with this week? Ooh, yes. Um... My challenge for yourself and your listeners is to, that's a good one. That's a very good one indeed. I wonder if I can answer this quicker than Greg did on his final question <laughs> on your last podcast. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, yeah. yeah, good. I, th- I think my challenge would be to really just try something. And again, I'm guilty of this myself. It's very easy to talk about something but to actually go in and know the theory behind something, but to go away and actually implement it. So my challenge for you and myself and your listeners this week is to pick an individual topic that you know a lot about and actually go away and practice it in the in the practical, really walk the talk. And again, that goes for myself and it goes for you and for your listeners. Cool. So turning theory, turning theory into practical. Into something that into something individually that you find quite challenging. Perfect. That sounds good. I can think of a couple off the top of my head, and I will. Um, I'll keep you. I'll keep you up to date with how I go with them. Likewise. Likewise. Yep. 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 Now we're all guilty of that, and I think you know today's society and social media, it's very easy to to put across a persona or something you do or something you're very very good at in the theory. But um, I think real change comes from practical implementation. So I think if we can do do more and think or put out less, I think uh, we're going to be happier, healthier people all around. Mm, very true. Ben, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening, team. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I just wanted to let you know that my level of preparedness is nowhere near uh, the level of Ben at the moment. Uh, and that's, I should probably boost mine a little bit. I don't know if I'm ever going to quite make it to, uh, to his caliber of uh, preparedness for everyday survival, though. So again, 
If you guys like what you heard, make sure that you share this episode out with your uh, with your mates, with your groups, with your chums. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app as well so that you get uh, the episodes coming to you every week. You don't even have to think about them. Now, I really enjoyed Ben's last challenge that he left us with for this week. Um, so I've, I've taken up this challenge since I talked to him last week. I'm recording this uh, outro on Sunday. Um, and today I've, I've set up a Patreon page. So I've been a little bit uncomfortable uh, about thinking about monetizing the podcast uh, for, a, for a wee while now. Uh, now, obviously, there are associated costs with um, with running the podcast, but I have been just happy to absorb them. But I, I thought it would be cool if I could uh, kind of make the, the podcast sustainable um, and had been thinking about a few ways to do that. And I'm still thinking about a few ways to do that. Uh, but I thought a good start would be a Patreon page um, to allow people to contribute to the show if they want to. Uh, and you guys can find that Patreon page at patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay. And pop over there and, and check things out. Uh, and what I'll be doing as well is I'll be posting uh, my notes from each each conversation that I have as a PDF over there as well. So thank you guys again for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Ben and I today. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. We'll see you again here next week. Bye.